Welcome to this podcast, made possible by Vision Australia Radio. Visit varadio.org, subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. Let's meet Keith Cox, who's got a book about him and a very aptly named called A Caring Life. And Keith Cox, OIM, is on the line. Keith, lovely to meet you, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much for having me this afternoon, Peter. Gee, you've got a story to tell, haven't you? Um, Tell us about uh, how and why you got into nursing originally. I always wanted to be a nurse from my very early childhood. I had two elder sisters that were nurses, and um, they probably, not the oldest one because I was only three when she left home, to go into uh, the convent, uh, St John of God convent in Subiaco in Perth. But my next sister, Coral, she used to come home on her days off and tell us all these different nursing and hospital stories. So the three youngest uh, of the nine Cox children all became nurses, me being the seventh child. So I think from those very early days, I wanted to be a nurse. And it was quite difficult way back then because they didn't take males into to general nursing. Wow. Okay. I guess when you hear those nursing stories, Keith, it can go one of two ways. Either it could really attract you or it could turn you right off. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> she, probably, she probably thought, I'll only tell them the good stories. <laughs> Well, obviously a very wise decision because it's uh, turned out really well for you. I guess to kind of um, put it crudely, to know the mechanics of nursing is one thing, but the uh, the spiritual side, the caring side, that probably got to come from within. You're probably not going to learn that in a in a classroom or a teaching uh, setting. No, I think you have to have compassion and, you know, a certain amount of love and understanding for, you know, not only sick people but also for your fellow man. So um, I think I was very blessed in that way that, uh, you know, I love people and I love caring for people whether or not it's, you know, in a nursing working life or, uh, you know, looking after neighbours and friends and the poor and disadvantaged. And that uh, caring, loving side of you, is that from your uh, strong uh, beliefs as well? It is. I think, you know, being brought up uh, in a strong, you know, Catholic faith and Catholic family and uh, was shown a lot of love and understanding because between my eldest sister and my youngest brother, uh, there's 21 years difference. So it was like having two lots of parents, actually, because I had older brothers and sisters that used to also care for us and, you know, show us the ropes as well as my parents. So I think growing up in that sort of environment helped with the person I am today, but also uh, in the person I was during my nursing career as well. Just from the two or three minutes we've spent with you, we understand that you're very much a a caring, loving person. You work with some uh, high-profile people, but I guess each individual is their own person and you kind of uh, treat them all the same regardless of their their title or their background or their job or whatever other influence might be... uh, affecting their, their their name or their person. Exactly. So I treated everyone the same. It didn't matter if it was, you know, the Prime Minister that I met and took him up to say goodbye to Chris O'Brien or it was, you know, someone that wasn't well-known and was uh, 
I'm going to use the word which I don't like using, but uh, I can't think of another word. An ordinary, uh, mm. you know, Australian that um, walked in off the street, if you like. And uh, so, I think if you take that attitude to treat everyone as you would like to be treated yourself, and you know, it doesn't matter who they are or what they are, they still need your help be it you know in a nursing area because I specialised in cancer nursing. Yeah. You get to know the patients extremely well because it's not someone coming in, having their appendix out and you never see them again. Mm. It's uh, people that come in, you know, every couple of weeks or every couple of um, months or when they, you know, finish their treatment every you know, month to three months to six months and then nearly check up. So uh, you get to know the patient and their families and their friends extremely well. And that cancer diagnosis, I mean, obviously uh, it can be very, very confronting for the person and, and their families. I mean, uh, all of a sudden, you know, your mortality is staring you right in the, right in the eye. Well, even today, I think, Peter, a lot of people think that once you've got a diagnosis of cancer, they automatically think of death where, you know, things, and I guess, you know, I've tried to highlight this in the book, uh, a lot of um, cancers are now curable that they weren't when I started back 50 years ago. And a lot of people have uh, a good response to be it, surgery, chemotherapy or radiotherapy or combination of all three. So I think that uh, these days with the right advice and the right pathway, people get, you know, reassured that they may uh, not survive uh, their diagnosis. But, you know, probably 50 to 60% of patients diagnosed with the cancer these days do survive. So it's, it's not necessarily a death, death sentence like it was, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. Do you choose to go down the uh, nursing cancer area or did that kind of find you, if you like? Uh, I guess it found me in one respect and this is also highlighted in the book a little bit. I worked in a ward that had 10 cancer patients, which is oncology patients, and when I left to go overseas and uh, some of my medical colleagues gave me references to various hospitals in the UK, but one of them was the Royal Marsden, was, which was a purely cancer centre. And I went for an interview there after I got back from travelling around Europe for a while. And I just had a nice feel for the place. You know, they were caring people. They um, were an organisation that had the patient, even back then, as the centre of the care. And also, they, you know, nurses were doing education and research and teaching patients, for instance, how to change their own tracheostomy tube or how to do yeah. their own nasogastric feed. And that was quite remarkable for, you know, 1980, I was there, 80, 81. So 
it was quite advanced and, you know, I got a lot of ideas that I was able to bring back to Australia. And once you specialise in a specialty, especially for me, I really enjoyed it. And I, I liked the challenge and I liked the the knowledge that I was able to continue uh, looking at new drugs, new ways of doing things. And so it was not mundane. It was always changing and uh, you're always meeting new and exciting, not only researchers, but uh, doctors and uh, other healthcare professionals that um, kept your interest. So uh, it wasn't a mundane type uh, area of medicine to go into, if you like. Yeah, far from mundane, I'm sure. And I guess those of us that kind of uh, go about living our lives and we hear about research that's going on and occasionally there's a you know, news flash that, uh, you know, this breakthrough is uh, taking place. We probably don't have any idea of how much uh, research goes into it. I mean, even over the last couple of years with COVID, I guess we've kind of learned a little bit about how much research has to go into producing a vaccine. But uh, with things like cancer, because it's been around so long, there's been so much uh, work that's gone into it, we probably don't really appreciate the, the nuts and bolts of it. Would that, would that be fair, do you think? Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think, you know, to get us say. I'll just use one example, a new drug to the patient or the bedside, you know, might take three or four years or even longer to get to that stage. So, you know, uh, there are a lot of new drugs even since I uh, semi-retired that were probably in the pipeline for many, many years before, you know, they started to be used in clinical practice. But more and more there's new targeted therapies, new monoclonal antibodies, new ways of doing surgery, for instance. You know, we've got robotic surgery now that we didn't have, you know, five or six years ago. So it's everlasting changing, you know, and, and it's all very positive and all very challenging to start with, but then once you master, you know, the way that that drug's given or perhaps the side effects associated with that drug or, you know, the new way of doing surgery by keyhole surgery or robotic surgery, uh, you know, it's, it definitely improves patient outcomes and patient care. Keith, uh, without getting too much off the topic, you talked about uh, back in the 80s, you kind of uh, were seeing people kind of uh, help themselves in, in a sense with some of the, um, the treatment that they were having. Is that kind of part of the, the clue to maybe a six or more successful outcome? Because I've spoken to people that have been diagnosed with cancer, and of course, you know, their first thing is their mind is in a world, but if they can kind of feel like they're taking a little bit of control rather than being told today you're here, tomorrow you're there, you've got this test, that test, uh, th- this treatment, if you can take a little bit of control, can, can that be a very powerful thing in terms of helping with both your re- recovery and, and, and long-term outcome? Exactly, Peter. And there are studies done on this, and I use the term the power of the positive thinker. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's going to be positive, you know, and say, you know, I'm going to beat this or, you know, I'm going to really fight this, those people tend to do better than the people that are pessimistic, you know, and I used to have patients saying, oh, I'll be sick because I even get sick on the manly ferry or I get <laughs> sick on the bus or whatever. Uh, and so even before they started chemotherapy, yeah. for instance, they'd talk themselves into being sick and, of course, you know, they'd be in such a state like anxiety-wise that they, uh, you know, 90% of them were sick. 
But the people that were very positive seemed to have a better outcome, and there are, there is some evidence um, to suggest that people with that very positive attitude tend to handle uh, not only the the treatments, being it surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, or the new target therapies we uh, give. But, you know, they're psychosocial. So what I used to say to patients, you know, when they've come to see me as a nurse practitioner, I look after, I look after the mind, the body and the soul. So, you know, I'd explain what I meant by that. And I think it's very important that you treat the whole person, not just the cancer. And that's why a lot of patients were referred to me from my medical colleagues, uh, not because they thought I had more time, which I didn't than they did, <laughs> but I use that sort of comprehensive care for patients. And I think they said, I'd say to them, well, why have you been sent to me? And they say, oh, because, you know, you treat the whole person where Dr. Bloggs treats the cancer. So it was a good analogy of uh, why the patients like seeing a nurse practitioner because I could prescribe, order and refer as well. But uh, I'd listen to, you know, the anxieties or sometimes they might have um, difficulties with, you know, home life, for instance. You know, some of the family might be, you know, having trouble accepting the fact that their loved one had a cancer. So, you know, I'd say, well, why don't you bring your, you know, your husband or your wife or ever who it may be in and I can sit down and chat with them with you if you want. And so I think that was like reassurance and that's why, you know, I think for me I felt like it was a, a gift that I was given that I was able to communicate and, you know, give a lot of reassurance and understanding to people. Not that doctors don't and uh, they certainly do, but, um, you know, with this... Now, you know, everyone's very stretched because uh, of the shortages and the increased demands and things. It's been a privilege speaking to you. Thank you so much. Caring Life is the uh, name of the book about uh, Keith Cox OM, available from all good bookstores. Keith, it's, it's been an absolute delight speaking to you. You've got such a, a wonderful nature about you. Just the 10 or so minutes we've spent with you, you have such a, a calm, calming uh, uh, you know, why about you? Your your energy is amazing. So thank you for just uh, being with us for a little bit and uh, hopefully we can catch up with you again in the future. Thanks very much, Peter, and uh, lovely chatting with you as well. Keith Cox there. Keith Cox, OAM, the book, A Caring Life, available from all good bookstores. Thanks for listening to this Vision Australia radio podcast. Visit varadio.org to find out more about our podcasts.